There are folks who, 30 minutes or an hour later, I don't feel like I know them any better than I did before they came in the room because they didn't give me that personal stuff. So my rule of thumb is as long as it's positive or neutral, throw in that personal information. Tell them about some hobbies that you have, some goals outside of work that you have. Our ever-changing world calls upon the most courageous, resilient, and relentless of us to face its most extraordinary challenges. To help you embark on this journey, we present the Impactful Coaching Podcast, your oasis for inspiration and a beacon to spark the fires of greatness within you. I'm Joseph. I will be your ally in this journey to empower your potential. Join us each week as we dive deep into the heart of ambition, drive, and success to unravel compelling stories of daring leaders who dreamed, struggled, and achieved victory. Our journey begins now. How is everybody doing today welcome to the impactful coaching podcast or welcome back if this is not your first time maybe it's your second time your third time it's great to have everybody here and as i say every episode the opportunity to share in these conversations provide knowledge receive uh, 10 times the amount of knowledge that i can provide it's all a wonderful experience so thank you to all of you for being a part of it and i would like to welcome today's guest lisa edwards of exclusivecareercoaching.com lisa uh how are you doing today how are you feeling i'm doing fantastic it's um hotter than i'll get out down here in florida but my daughter lives in dallas where it's like 10 degrees hotter so i get no sympathy from her (laughs) (laughs) there's a few places in the states that i have fantasized about moving to um, namely because here in Canada which I know is pronounced Canada but I've unironically started calling it Canada just to see if I can trip somebody up Uh, because we get varying weather we get warm weather we get cold weather we get tepid we get mild we get a day that's all of those one time we went we could have gone swimming in a December because it was so warm so it just messes with our heads but uh, Florida is one of the places that I would love to visit and move to Um, but like I, I'm just doing like a warm up question just for, for for the fun of it. But uh, what are some of the like the weather patterns that uh, people wouldn't know about if they weren't a dedicated resident of Florida? Well, I think the main thing in general that people don't understand if they don't if they don't know Florida very well is that there it's not one state, right? And I I had this theory growing up because I was born and raised in St. Petersburg, which is in the central part of the state. And I had this theory that there were multiple Floridas. And then one year, I, a former husband was was moving into an office, and lo and behold, on the shelf was a book that basically talked about four different <laughs> Floridas. And I was like, I want that book. And I read it. And I was like, this is everything I've ever said. So, you know, you can't say anything about the state of Florida as a blanket statement, whether it's weather or politics, certainly mm-hmm. not politics, or anything else, right? Um, what I will tell you about, I think many people don't understand about North Florida. I live in Tallahassee, the state capital, and we're just 30 minutes from Georgia. I can hop up to Georgia anytime I want to, and not that much further away from Alabama. And it's I just call it, it's like annexed South Georgia, right? So we have the gigantic oak trees. We have canopy roads. We have, I mean, we are, every third person, maybe I'm being, it's probably more like every other person has a thick Southern accent where Mm -hmm. translation might be needed if you're from certain parts of the country. You juxtapose that with uh, the Southern part of the state where, you know, everyone is maybe from 
I don't know, Cuba or Puerto Rico or something like that. So it's a very different world. Um, I will say about you Canadians, though, I, I have this theory that there's someone in your ministry that controls the the flow out of Canada over the winter months so that everyone doesn't come down to our state at the same time. And then there's no one left to run Canada. So I think they have to like regulate it and like, okay, A through C gets to go this week. <laughs> that's my that's my theory. Well, that that was a great answer to the question. The idea that one state is really not just one state; it's a, it's a multiple ones, and the fact that there's four different ones almost makes me wonder if anyone's decided to call it Florida instead of Florida. I mean, it's just <laughs> it's just sitting there, right? Here in, in Ontario, the way it's divided is we have Toronto, and then we have the rest of Ontario. That's how uh, our two two topography is is divvied up. Uh, and I would be shocked if anybody in Canada was in control of anything as far as our, <laughs> our administration goes. Well, now that we've dissed both the state of Florida and the entire country of Canada, <laughs> and I love Canada, I have lots of clients in Canada, so please forgive me for what I've, what I've said. <laughs> if they're not coming after me as a Canadian, they'll come after me as a Torontonian, and I say, bring it on. All right. So <laughs> with that, the opening question that I am uh, delighted to ask. I'm looking forward to seeing where we're going to go with our conversation today is tell us what you do and what you're up to these days. Sure. So my business is exclusive career coaching, and I've been doing that full time since I think 2011. Prior to that, I had uh, previous iterations of the business while I was still in higher education. My career prior to coming, um, owning my own business at full time was I ran two university career centers, one in Georgia, and then I moved out to the Midwest to Missouri and ran one out there. So my sort of genesis in this field is helping recent college graduates figure out what they want to be when they grow up and helping them find what we call that first destination job. So um, when I came, uh, I keep saying, I want to say when I came out, but that's not what I mean. When I came out of higher education, <laughs> it, it was, you know, this challenge of who do I really want to work with? And while my heart was still with those recent college graduates, uh, ultimately I ended up with those mid-career professionals. So they're maybe 10 years, they could be 15 years out. They're at that mid-level, maybe manager, director, senior director, and they really want to get into the executive ranks. And I help them in three primary ways. So number one is they need the marketing documents. So resume, cover letter, LinkedIn profile. I'm proud of saying that I'm one of 23 master resume writers in the world, uh, and that's kind of a big deal. And so I, I write their documents for them, and I notice that I use the term marketing documents because that's exactly what they are. They are selling them for the role that they want next. The second way that I help them is with their job search strategy. So whether that is creating a job search strategy, so in other words, an, an action plan of how they're going to get this job. Hint. It's not just looking at job boards, because if that's all you're doing, you're probably going to be doing it for a year before you find something. And you'll probably be looking at kind of the bottom of the barrel in many cases, because companies don't like to post on job boards if they don't have to. So it could be the job search strategy itself. It can also be how do I network more effectively? How do I actually, I understand that I'm supposed to network, but I don't really know how to do it. And then there's also the interviewing piece and the salary negotiation piece, how to leverage LinkedIn. So it's all of those pieces that are involved in getting from wherever they're at now to where they want to get to. The third part of my business that is growing um, probably the fastest is the career coaching. And, and I use the term 
career coaching as opposed to job search coaching. With this third group of people, these are folks who aren't necessarily looking to change jobs in the immediate future. They're not unhappy where they're at, but they've encountered an issue or a challenge that they're struggling with that they feel is holding them back. And I've have plenty of examples. If, if we want to go there, um, we can talk about that. But that's been really fun because those folks are um, also, again, high achievers, but just struggling with some aspect of their business. So that's kind of the pieces of my practice. My, my goal is to be a full service career service provider. So someone doesn't have to come to me for one thing and then go somewhere else to get interviewing skills or somewhere else to get uh, their resume written. They get it all from me. And a couple of things that came into my mind in, in this, and, and thank you for that, uh, by the way. So one of the things about the the group of people exiting the college field and really entering the workforce for the first time, uh, a part of me thinks that if there was any point in time in a person's career where maybe they shouldn't get help, it would be that, just because you do need to learn how to start navigating into this environment. You don't have an institution uh, or you don't have a structure um, overhead. Now you can leverage it. You can use it as a resource, of course, but this is the time where you really need to start to learn how to ha- have your own spine and to, to move forward. So mm-hmm. was there any um, interesting patterns or limiting beliefs that, that you did identify in people who were just exiting uh, post-secondary education? Oh, yes. I think the biggest one was this notion and, and understand that the last university I worked at was Uh, under the category of highly select. So in other words, very high admission standards. Most of our students came from private Catholic schools and so very high academics. And because of that, they had pretty high expectations on themselves, for themselves, but also their families were doing that. So there was this notion that they were figuring out what they were going to do for the rest of their life. Mm -hmm. And so a big part of the kind of de-education, if you will, that I did with them was to say, we're not trying to figure out the rest of your life. That's 45 years or, or more. We're trying to figure out your first destination. And the analogy that seemed to really resonate with them was that of a, of a, a dartboard. And I said, okay, first job out of college, you got a bachelor's degree and maybe a little bit of experience. Maybe you've done an internship. Maybe you have it. Let's get you on the dartboard. You're going to be on the outer rung right? Which is representative of a job that is a a good and okay fit for you. And you're probably statistically speaking, going to stay there for two to three years. And during those two to three years, you are going to learn volumes about yourself, your likes, your dislikes, you're going to develop skills, you're going to realize you have some skills that you hate using, which we call burnout skills. And hopefully you're going to be able to leverage that information so that the next time you look for a job, again, two to three years after you graduate, you're going to get a little bit closer to the center. And we're probably looking at getting in that center of your bullseye 10 to 12 years out of college. And I also make it very clear that there's a group of positions in that middle. And I I tell people, I love what I do. I am clearly in the middle of my bullseye. But if someone knocked on my door today and said, we will pay you really well to be a travel writer, I I would have to write a note to all of my clients and tell them Mm -hmm. bye-bye because (laughs) that's another dream. So, so, So it's not as though I can't think of any other jobs that I would love to do. Uh, even though I'm in the center of my bullseye. So that seemed to be something that really helped them to contextualize what they were trying to accomplish with this first job out of college and kind of take off some of that pressure for them. So I think that was probably the biggest thing. The second thing I would say is it's this notion that 
the, the question is the question that they were asking. And I always told them it was the wrong question. And the question was, what can I do with a degree in fill in the blank? It was what, whatever degree they had. And that's the wrong question. The right question is, what do I want to do with a degree in? And I always exclude, you know, if you want to be an accountant, got to have an accounting degree. If you want to be a teacher, you need an education degree. So there are those professional fields, lawyer, doctor, those kinds of things. But let's take them off the board and the rest of the occupations. What do you want to do with that psych degree? What do you want to do with that sociology degree? What do you want to do with that philosophy and religion degree? And the answer is, you know, kind of anything you want to. And then let's figure out what that is. Let's do some let's do some assessments. Let's do some work together to figure out what that is. I, I feel like I'm uh, there's just a lot of different threads that I that I want to pull on. So you'll have to bear with me. I'm a bit uh, <laughs> scatterbrained in terms of where I'm going with this. So this was a, a question that I had uh, pre-prepared, but the context of it was brought up in your answer is the idea that somebody is going to be working in a position for, for two years and might change not maybe not exclusively go to a different company, but perhaps even receive a promotion within that, which mm-hmm. is certainly enough of a gear shift. And and I see that subject on my social media feed quite a bit is is the concept of job hopping, staying at a company for two years, then moving on. And a lot of the times the argument is this is the most sensible way to gain a higher salary. It's more likely that you would leverage mm-hmm. your current position to get a new position somewhere else. So there's there's two sides to this the the first is um how first of all how often are you seeing this versus how often are you seeing people really looking to find their that center and to find a position that is a puzzle piece that fits in their life don't have to worry about it five years go by ten years go by i'm happy i found my spot what would you say is the ratio of people who are looking for that staying ability versus people who are in that constant movement I think it's more age-based than anything else. So what I'm seeing from folks that are getting out of college is they, we're enough, they are enough removed from, because really we're talking about my parents' generation that got the one job, got the gold watch and retired, you know, the same company the whole time. So I think they're enough removed that they maybe haven't even heard that myth anymore because this would be their, good Lord, what, great, great grandfather or grandfather, right? So I don't think the expectation of a 22 year old today is I'm trying to find the right company that I can stay with forever. And sometimes I have to help them understand that the fact that they've changed, you know, they've had three or four jobs by the time they're 30 is not a bad thing because they are finding their way around. So, so we're okay when we're younger like that. What I hear increasingly with folks who get into their forties and fifties and certainly later 50s and they're thinking about i want that final job like i want to find something that i can stay with until i retire um then it becomes more of a longevity issue right i also think there's that that um personality characteristics a couple things personality plays in because some people are just less content right less likely to be content i i used to say and i think mine's a pretty long stretch my 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 rule of thumb was i have a seven-year attention span in jobs and i tend to outstay my attention span i stayed at columbus state university for 10 years because i was going to get tenured at 10 years so um i don't know what i did for the last three years it probably wasn't great (laughs) and then i i stayed at truman state university for um 12 or 13 years so i was really um, on the downhill slide there. But I think there's that piece of, you know, boredom and attention span and all of that. So I think that's that's a piece of it. 
um, as well. And um, I think that there's also for some people, it's that, you know, motivation, they want to move up, and they don't see opportunities. I think also, let's be honest, some of them aren't doing the work when it's time to make that change to really look at I think of it as kind of your shopping cart. Like, what do I want to put in my shopping cart? Meaning I want to take that with me from this job into the next job in terms of skills, tasks that I get to do. What do I want to put back on the shelf? I'm done with it. Mm -hmm. Or maybe there's something I want a smaller quantity of or a larger quantity of. So doing that kind of assessment is so important because then sometimes when I see job hoppers, they haven't done that work, nor have they done the work to vet out the company. So they jump. In fact, I was talking to a client yesterday about, we want to make sure you don't jump out of the frying pan into the fire was the term mm -hmm. that I used. And there's so many resources now to vet those companies out and ways to get that information so that whatever's important to you in a company, you'll find out whether that company has those qualities or not. Mm -hmm. On the subject of a self-assessment and seeing what part of our say skills portfolio are going to continue with us uh, this was something that i found fascinating about you is that you have a degree in music education as part of your background mm -hmm. um, does your training in in music uh, has that provided any unique skills that are aiding you in your business now well certainly performing right so mm -hmm. if i'm presenting and i'm always presenting in one way or another with with various audiences um, the education piece, I think, is probably pretty, pretty evident. Uh, I will tell you an interesting story about this because I have a brother who's 15 years older than me, so he's pretty old. <laughs> and he thinks that mother wasted the money on my ed education degree because I only taught in the school system for three years. And then I moved out uh, and away from that with the idea that I could always come back, but I wanted to see what else the world had to offer me, and I never did come back. But my, my story is that I my music education degree is from Florida State University, which is a very vulnerable, uh, vulnerable, not vulnerable, venerable, okay. maybe right. it's vulnerable, but uh, a venerable music program. It's very prolific in terms of graduate degrees in music education and music performance. And when I went out to Truman State University, which is 30 minutes from Illinois and uh, no, an hour from Illinois and 30 minutes from Iowa, cornfields and cows, as I like to say, uh, I noticed I noticed when I parked in the fine arts parking lot, I looked at the cars and I saw a whole lot of Florida State University bumper stickers and back window stickers and such. And as the director of the Career Center, I was supposed to go into these different departments and talk to the faculty about how the Career Center could support their students and them. And so when I got to the fine arts department, I saw a lot of body language that told me they didn't care about what I had to say and weren't open to listening to me. And I thought I might have the answer. So when I went in, I, I introduced myself. I, I told them my name and I said, I have an, an undergraduate degree in music education from Florida State University. And a light switch just flipped. They wanted to listen to me and they became my colleagues and my friends in a way that they had never connected with the Career Center before. So that particular degree in conjunction with where it came from has served me very well, but absolutely presentation skills, the, the ability to educate and understand how to teach. Uh, one of my strengths when I was teaching was classroom management. And uh, I certainly taught a lot of college students where I had to use some <laughs> If, if anyone out there mm -hmm. thinks that college students, every college student in every classroom really wants to learn and they're quiet and attentive, you're wrong. 
it's not true. Those, so uh, those skills have served me very well. You reminded me of uh, some of the people that I knew in college. One of them, he was well, our college program. For those of you who are just catching up, was the Humber School of Comedy. It taught people how to actually navigate the industry. So you had to be funded to get in, but to stick around the program, you did have to do the work, learn how to run shows, learn how to uh, submit scripts. So a lot of technical stuff that people might not think is associated with you know, clown world. And one of them, he had already done a, he had his full master's degree in engineering. He had his iron ring. And so a bunch of them got booked out to go do a show in front of another university program. I don't, or sorry, another university. I don't know which university it was, but I do know it was the engineering (laughs) group. So no one was doing well until he goes up and he says, just give me a second to stretch. And oh, what's that? Is that the iron ring on my finger? And they all just like lit up. They were so happy that one of their own was on stage doing that. So having that credential, having that almost like tribalistic uh, belonging, uh, whether it's the university or it's the program specific, it totally changes the way people see you and allows you to have a whole totally different way that you can now communicate to them too. Absolutely. I think that's in general a rule when you're working with groups is to figure out what their what that commonality is, what they're interested in and how you can, you know, create that bond. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I don't have an engineering degree, but I do have a, a Zelda tattoo on my hand. And so, you know, as far as nerds go, I'm pretty handsome. <laughs> So whenever I'm with my 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 people, they don't trust they don't they wouldn't trust me because they think oh, that guy's he, he looks like he doesn't smell. So we're not sure we trust him. But then like they see that I went through, endured a lot of pain in order to have a tattoo. Like, okay, never mind. He's one of us. So again, that yeah. tribalistic thing is really fascinating. Yeah. Um, I, so I selected an episode because when, you know, when I know that I'm talking to a fellow podcaster, it's always cool to listen to their, their content as well. So I selected an episode. I thought this was at random. It was uh, episode 277, uh, Behavioral Interview Questions. Oh, and okay. you said that, on the episode that interview episodes tend to be some of the most listened to. Absolutely. uh, I'm, and you also wanted to ask you too about what's the, the Carl story. Cause I think that's a really cool tidbit that I want my audience to learn about. So we'll get to that. That's, uh, that's on deck. But what do you think is the reason why people are always so um, drawn to the interview part of it? And yet the whole ecosystem is important, but there's something about the interview side of it that people are always uh, looking for information on. Yeah, I think that's the answer, right, is that people are looking for that. And it tends to be in the moment, right? I don't think that most people just like, hey, it's time to go to bed. And, you know, I don't have any interviews coming up. I'm not even actually looking for a job. But I think I want to look up at how to interview. Like, that doesn't happen. So I think what's happening is there's this base of my regular folks, right, who are going to listen no matter what. But what we've noticed about my podcast is it's not timely in the sense that, you know, I listen to a college football podcast and what's the point of listening to last week's episode, right? Yeah. So it's, it's, but my podcast is not like that, right? So it's very, if you're looking for interview help or you're looking for help on how to write a resume, you're going to find me and and you may listen to those episodes. So I think that's kind of what's happening. There's this base of folks who listen week in and week out and they figure they're going to get a little nugget no matter what the topic is. But then there's these, I don't know, what do you want to call them? Like, I'm doing this motion to sort of drop in right for the right topic and interviewing. I I've done this research to kind of figure out, you know, where to focus more energy on. And honestly, it gets tricky to continue to come up with new angles on interviewing. Uh, But I continue to put those episodes out if I can think of something fresh and new because they are so popular. Just the, the tidbit that I love to uh, share with my audience was the idea of the, the Carl story. Now I heard that I didn't, 
uh, I, I'm thinking Carl, like the name Carl, like C-A-R-L, or I, I yeah. feel like I got that one. Yeah, so you may have heard of car stories, which is challenge, action, result. And then okay. there's also par stories, problem, action, results, star stories, situation, task, action, results. So there's all these acronyms out there. And I, so I was going with car, challenge, action, result. And, but yet I was teaching students to kind of pepper in a lessons learned component. So after you do the C, the A, and the R, you know, here's what I learned from this experience. And and there's two ways to do that. I'll talk about that in a second. So I was, I was doing this training and I think it was actually with my now daughter-in-law that I was doing this training with. She's like, oh, so they're Carl stories. I was like, Oh, okay. I guess they are Carl stories. And so I kind of adopted that. But the two ways, so you, let's just say you're, they say, tell me about a time when you had to deal with a, you know, a, a challenging coworker that you were getting along with. So weren't getting along with. So you give them the challenge, you know, maybe they, you were working on a project with them and you were in disagreement about something. And so then what are the actions? So what are two or three steps that you took to resolve that issue or to come to consensus, whatever it was. And then as a result, we were able to, you know, let's say successfully complete the project. Maybe we received accolades. We maybe something about the the relationship between the two of us. And then what I learned as a result of that experience is um, it's best, maybe it's best to head off these issues and not let them fester, deal with them as soon as they crop up. So that's one L. The other part of the L is not really an L, but it's, it's you spoon feeding the interviewer with what that says about you. So I think what this, this story uh, uh, illustrates is my ability to deal with conflict. So it's sort of turning that on its head. But it I think of it as the the picture in my mind when I think of the L and the Carl stories is it's like a little putting a little bow on the story or or thinking of it maybe as extra credit if you're if you love to make good grades in school. Um, and and it doesn't work with every story, nor should it be used with every story. But if you pepper it in judiciously, it can be incredibly effective. Mm-hmm. And I'd like to tie uh, some of what we've talked about so far because it reminded me of one of the better interv- job interviews that I felt I had, one indicator it being that I, you know, got the job. Got the job. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I mean, that's a pretty good uh, metric in of itself. Mm-hmm. But I, I didn't. I didn't. Uh, this this was the first time that I'd heard about uh, Carl's story. So uh, my this was an, an unintended uh, example of it, where I was talking about some of the previous clients that I had had, and some of the content that I was working on wasn't content that I wish I was doing to the point where it it was it was communicating messages that I don't even agree with. And I could rationalize it in my own mind by saying, well, you know, I may not agree with what you have to say, but I would defend to the death your right to say it. Although in my case, it's, well, I'll, you know, add the bass and treble, I'll make it sound nice. So you're not the same thing as picking up a weapon and shooting somebody over it, but still doing my part to respect other people's mm-hmm. opinions that I don't agree with. And he had asked me, what did I wish I had done differently? And I said, I wish I had churned better. I wish I had, okay, these aren't the people that I want to work with. I should be putting more active energy into looking for people that are a little bit more aligned to my views and my values and is work that I feel better about doing. And over time, transitioning away from the roles that I didn't want towards the roles that I did want. And even if I didn't get the role, which I did, that was still a really good lesson. It, w- it was still a learning opportunity. And I think one thing that I learned more because I do more like client sourcing as a, as a freelancer. So the personal relationship is tantamount to the success because it's not like I'm mm-hmm. creating a relationship with a company. It's a relationship with one person. But I think people should 
also appreciate that the interviewing process is an opportunity to meet people and to make connections. And we don't know exactly what those connections are going to be. Obviously, we want to turn to paid work, but it could be any number of things. And so I try to go in with the intentionality of don't apply for the job, apply for the person. And and I'm curious, is there is a balancing act that you've had to help your clients figure out, which is how much of the professional side they want to communicate versus how much of the personal mm-hmm. side they want to communicate? Yeah, and I think that the the word on the street, if you will, is that this should be 100% professional. And my experience with that, and, and maybe you've had the same experience with interviewing people, is there are folks who 30 minutes or an hour later, I don't feel like I know them any better than I did before they came in the room because they didn't give me that personal stuff. So my rule of thumb is as long as it's positive or neutral, throw in that personal information, tell them about some hobbies that you have, some goals outside of work that you have. You know, if you are an avid marathon runner and you're training for your next marathon, like my son is, God love him, um, that, you know, that's great. You don't want to get into things that could be used against you. And it was interesting that you asked this question because recently someone kind of called me on an, an episode that I did a long time ago uh, about this very ep- uh, issue about something that someone said to me when I asked the question, you know, tell me about yourself at the beginning of the interview. And she said in the first sentence, I'm a single mom, I have three preschool children, and I'm in the National Guard. And I clearly did not express my reason for my answer to the in on the podcast very well, because she's like, well, you know, are you against people who have children? Like, what what's your problem? And what I was trying to say was, there's a time to reveal certain things. Now, I don't, I personally, when I was applying uh, to Truman State University and all over the the United States, and I had two preschool children, I didn't tell anybody I had kids because I was a single mom and I don't think they needed to know that. But in terms of, let's say the National Guard, it's when you tell them, right? Because if you tell them right off the bat and they don't have a lot of good stuff, you know, they don't know a lot of great things about you yet, it kind of weighs more heavily. If you tell them later on, and by the way, I'm going to need to be out for, I don't know, what is it in the United States, two weeks in the summer. I think you have to go to National Guard. Most employers would be like, okay, great. You're helping the country. You know, no problem. But don't tell me that right off the bat. So that's kind of my philosophy is let them know what you're into as long as it's neutral or positive. Um, Perfect example of what not to say. I had another woman who came and interviewed with me, and this was back when I was in, in Georgia, And I said, tell me about yourself. And she said, well, I just broke up with my boyfriend, but I'm not bitter. And three times, (laughs) three times during the interview, she said she was not bitter about breaking up with her boyfriend. So, of course, all of us that were interviewing her concluded what? She was bitter. bitter. Yeah. She's bitter. And unfortunately, this is sad, but unfortunately, we found out from human resources down the line that when she came in with her application materials, because this was back in the day when you had to come in with your application materials, she was pretty beat up. So she had been through some stuff, uh, but that's not the kind of thing that needs to come out in an interview. And unfortunately, women tend to want to talk about family and personal things more so than, than the guys. Which is a situation where I feel like it it was it was handled well from my own experience. So one retail job that I worked for a little while was a theater store. And so there's some costumes, makeup, and all of that uh, good good stuff. Because I come from the creative background, so it was a, it was mm-hmm. a decent fit for me. And so I, we sit, I sit down for the interview, and the lady says, so tell, tell me about yourself. First thing out of my mouth, well, I'm a huge nerd. I felt like that was the perfect time to say that. 
it, uh, she didn't see my hand. So it was just a matter of like, <laughs> you know, there's, there are reasons why I'm here. I'm, I'm, Okay, I'm not a Broadway actor, but I'm I'm still pretty close. I I recognize the all the, yeah. the the people in the costumes. But juxtapose that with going into an accounting firm, and they say, "Tell me about yourself," and you're like, "I'm a huge nerd." That you know, it might not go over. So it's very contextual, right? Who's your audience? You know this from the work that you've done and the environments that you've been in. Know your audience is what we were saying earlier about mm-hmm. the uh, the guy that had the engineering background and his his what was it iron ring. Yeah. Like I, now I want to know more about iron. Does every engineer have an iron? Is it a Canada thing? What's this deal with the iron? If, ring? If, so if anybody in engineering wants to call me out on this, feel free. I'm just ba- so. But the story was there was this bridge that had collapsed, and it was obviously the fault of the engineer who designed the structure in the first place. And so the iron ring is supposed to be this indicator of dedication to the integrity both structural integrity but also the integrity of engineering and so wearing the iron ring is in memory of that tragic loss Ah. so i think my my... details are a little off but that i'm gonna call you on it because my next client which i have in a little over a little less than a half an hour is an engineer so i'm I'm a and he's a civil engineer so i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm I'm gonna ask about the iron ring yeah yeah by all means let me know in the email all right (laughs) So, because we've been we've been doing a little bit of a storytelling here, I want to keep that thread going because you we wanted to mention some of the client stories that uh, that you've had, and the way I like to ask this as like a yin and yang question. So, on one hand, I'd like to hear about some of the course corrections you may have had to do, particularly early on as you were developing your your coaching platform, some of the lessons you learned, some of the ways that you've had to improve things and then on the other side i'd love to hear about what were some of the most impactful standout cases of people whose lives you've have really been transformed as a result of your work yeah yeah i i will say about my practice is that it has been a very slow incline and so um i'm not a fan of these uh coaching gurus who are out there who are saying you know by the second year you're in business you should be making a hundred thousand dollars plus and then Two years from then, you should be making a million, and then you're making, you know, gajillion dollars. Um, because my concern is that there's people out there that are going after the money and not after the the value that they bring. Um, if I had to say missteps, you know, yeah, I'd love to say I wish I was making more money sooner. I wish it had been profitable sooner, but that was my timeline. That was what I needed to be on. Those were the lessons I needed to learn and my my relationship with money and um, kind of figuring a lot of things out on my own. I bootstrapped it, right? So people who have maybe, let's say they have $100,000 and they're starting this, this business and they can throw a lot of money at coaches and support and tools and resources that's great and they're probably going to grow faster than I than I did. And so that's of course available to people if they have that kind of money. It wasn't available to me. Mm-hmm. So I had to learn by trial and error uh, whether it was, I can remember one thing that comes to mind was setting up my coaching. So, so when I started, I started as a resume writer and didn't have the coaching credential initially. And I knew that Resumes were tangible and people needed them and I could make some money and I was doing subcontracting. I was working on a volume basis with a couple of companies, making write, writing a lot of resumes for not a lot of money uh, per resume. 
And then when I got my coaching credential, it was interesting because I really didn't define myself as a coach for quite a while after that. I sort of had to work my way into a belief that I was a coach and that I was a credentialed coach and, and could call myself that. And so when I first set up a program or a, a coaching package that had the resume and the coaching and all of that in there together, I very narrowly defined um, what that coaching would be. And so what I was doing effectively was excluding most of the people that were coming to me because they didn't need exactly the components of that. And once I woke up to that and I realized, okay, let me offer it in terms of, well, this package has three coaching sessions and this package has six coaching sessions plus this and this. And then we customize what those sessions are going to be for based on the client needs. That was, that was definitely a light bulb moment. Um, now that may, listeners may be going, yeah, like, duh. Um, but for me, it was, it was a watershed moment. Uh, it, <laughs> I consider myself to be very bright and I have a quite a high IQ, but I didn't get that very, it took me a while. I think the transformation, you know, when I read things like, and this is on my LinkedIn in my recommendations, but a client that I've worked with for years, who is a vice president of, she's like a CFO actually. And you know, when she writes that the investment that she's made in, in my services has been the, the best investment in her career, that's, that's very meaningful. Um, I'm working currently with a client who came to me back in April and she was, and I'm not saying anything that she didn't say about herself. She was checked out. She was bitter. She was seeing younger people pass her up and she was in a fairly high level in, in banking, but she wasn't, she was just checked out. She had issues with her boss. She wasn't, she's working remotely, wasn't connected with her coworkers. And she was saying to me just um, a few days ago when we, when we met last week, she said, I can't get over how quickly that has turned around. And she cited the fact that she just went on vacation. And when she, she came back and it was Sunday night, going back to work on Monday. And she said, normally I would be dreading going back to work. She said, I was excited. I was motivated. I was, I was really recharged and ready to go. And she's just kind of flabbergasted at how quickly we were able to get that ship turned around and, uh, and get her thinking differently. And so those are great examples. Um, you know, I've, I've got another client that I wrapped up with, um, earlier this year, and she works for also a bank. Uh, and no, I don't specialize in banks. These just happen to be two examples. Sure. But she's moved up with the Federal Reserve Bank. And she moved up into her first role where she's managing other people. So she's no longer an individual contributor. And she was feeling, A, a real dissatisfaction because she didn't feel like she was producing something tangible because she's now at the level where her results are through others, right? So that was number one. But number two, she was also finding herself in a bit of a political firestorm with her boss and some other workers. So she'd never had to deal with politics. And now all of a sudden she was really getting uh, really getting hit with it on all sides. And so we were we were able to find ways for her to get job satisfaction, um, you know, despite the fact that this work is coming through others and also how to think about and deal with this political issue with her boss. Uh, and, and that really has increased her job satisfaction tremendously. So those are just a couple of examples of, of really good wins that I've had with clients. And then, of course, I love it when they reach out to me and say, I got the new job. It's fantastic. I love it. You know, your, your resume just really did the trick. Um, or you're interviewing my confidence because of your interviewing skills. That's fantastic. It's very rewarding. 
That's in, that's incredible. Just the idea of how um, I just a like, condensed amount of time. Because how long was that time frame between that when the client was checked out versus checked in and raring to go? Yeah. So she purchased a package that had 12 coaching sessions because we, I thought we were going to be in it for the long haul. Mm-hmm. She was, again, a hot mess. That's her words. And we were also going to be doing job coaching because she wanted to get to a place where she felt good about herself enough to look for another job. Three sessions. And she was ready to start working on her marketing materials and her job search strategy. Now we're we're going to still use that. We are still using those sessions, but they're not about that deep, heavy, you know, I hate my life and this job sucks stuff. Um, and, and that was what flabbergasted. So we did those like over six weeks, three sessions, and she feels like a new woman. And I think that's the beauty, not to say that one is better than the other, but counseling, you know, and I, I define counseling as kind of you're below average and you're trying to get to average. You're not functioning, you know, at your at your normal pace or speed. That tends to be backward looking. It's very deep kind of stuff and it can go on for years, whereas coaching is forward looking. We're, we're trying to take you from where you're mm-hmm. at to get you to the next level. And it can happen really quickly, especially with someone who is open and, and willing to do the work. I just have to bear with me for one second because I was about to make a point and then I just it just totally fell out of my head. This this happens <laughs> periodically, but not too often. So uh, if it comes back to me, it'll come back to me, but I don't want to spend too much time trying to dwell on it. Um, one of the things that I also wanted to, oh, sorry, I wrote the question down. Why would I forget if I, anyways, so <laughs> it was right there. So, uh, all right, uh, we're, we're leaving that in because that was funny. So a lot of what we, we talked about with these stories, there's, 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 it's a, it's a pivot in the sense that it's a change in an emotional state. And this is a, a theme that surprised and delighted me as I talked to a lot of the different coaches who, who attack things from different angles. Um, I've just spoken to someone in the health and fitness area, uh, public mm-hmm. speaking. And it always, and it seems to be that there's always a contextual issue, what someone says to you. And then there's subtext and there's the uh, unconscious side of it too. I mean, how far do you think you, you're confident in, in drilling down into what are the subconscious issues and trying to really discover what is going on with the person? You know, it's not something that I necessarily go after actively, but if it comes up, we can address it, right? So if, if it becomes obvious and it becomes sort of that elephant in the room, then we can talk about that. Um, one of the things that we, we do focus on with with coaching and, and um, certainly the sort of school, if you will, that I went through the, tra- the, the, the school of thought about coaching is um, it has to start with your thoughts and, and your the reality that you're in is 100% generated by the thoughts that you have. Thoughts cause your feelings, your feelings cause the actions that you take or the, that you don't take or the way that you react, and then that gets your results. And so we really focus on those on those thoughts, and sometimes that's where that deeper work needs to happen, right? Because mm-hmm. if we're just not making progress on making shifts in those thoughts, I'm not talking about 180-degree th- change from thinking I'm a terrible worker and nobody will want to hire me to I'm the best in the world but we do work on ladder thoughts and making making um, slight shifts and if they can't make progress with that it's probably something deeper that we need to work on Mm -hmm. and so then we will 
And then it goes into into counseling and less coaching, more counseling. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. If I think someone needs to go to counseling, you know, that's where I'm going to send them. Mm -hmm. And then the other side of pivoting that I also wanted to uh, ask you as well, and this one is more of a just say uh, of a a curiosity in terms of like career pivots. So I, I for since I was in high school, I always joked that well, it's not like I'm ever going to get into textiles just because it's it's quite a, a ways away from what I'm currently doing. And I would be interested in hearing about any uh, clients that you've worked with that changed. It, like it was a pretty, kind of a shocking change in, from one in- industry to another. What would you say has been like some of the most significant pivots that you've seen? Oh, that's an interesting question because Thank I you. don't. That's not an. <laughs> you're welcome. That's not an area that I specialize in uh, tremendously. I do work on career pivots. Uh, which, as I define it, we're keeping one foot in either your job function or your industry, and we're pivoting out. But career reinventions um, at a certain point become difficult to do because you kind of have to start over again. And if you're in your 40s or 50s and you've been making pretty good money. Now, what I do see are folks who are, I call it downshifting, right? Like they don't want to put their car in park. They're not ready to retire Mm -hmm. and go off and play golf all day, but they don't want to work maybe at the pace or at the level. And they have an altruistic side to them that hasn't really been exercised as they were in corporate America or wherever they were. And so they want to explore that. I find it fascinating that they can't see how their background in accounting or marketing or whatever it is is applicable to the nonprofit world. That fascinates me. And I love opening that door and that window for them so that they can see that. I don't know that I can give you off the top of my head a really wild change. I have a client that I'm working with right now who's been a dental assistant and working at a pretty deep level doing, you know, all the nasty things in the mouth, right? Like she does surgeries and stuff Mm -hmm. or assists with them. And she really doesn't want to do that anymore. She wants to, she's found her passion in like talking to the clients and helping them accept their plan of, what do they call it, a treatment plan. So like, okay, I'm going to sit down and explain what the the dentist wants, but he talks in dentist and you don't understand it. I, I speak person, so I can tell you what it means. I can answer your questions. I'm super patient. And she found that, and she was doing this with Invisaligns, which I think you probably know what those are, the clear. And she's done it with just regular dental procedures. And she just found that she had a real knack for that. So we are working now on, yes, she could maybe do that in a dental office, but where else could that skill set be useful? Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not sales, but it is, you know, kind of in that world. And and so that's been fun to work with her because she's very open and very creative and very willing to do the work. Um, so that's been a fun one. Awesome. That was, a, that was a great answer. I mean, I'm managing my expectations with what I think out of it. Oh, yeah, I know this person went from uh, canning and is now a bounty hunter. So like I, I get there's only so far that I, that I can go. Uh, I don't have you for a heck of a lot more time. And so I've got two other questions. One is probably uh, shorter than the other. So I'll do the short one first and then we'll see how much time I've got left. Uh, in terms of your, your platform right now, um, what would you say are some of the challenges that you, you feel like you're facing? And, th- and that could be technical, like uh, I wish I was ranking higher on Google or I, I wish my I was trying to reach, I want to reach more on social media. And so, yeah, where do you where do you feel like your, your platform is being challenged right now? 
I think the biggest platform or biggest challenge to the platform has been it, it's been a really slow summer um, and summers are not typically slow for me, but it has really picked up just in the last week or so. So my pipeline was pretty thin and I, I, I'm very good at um, most in most ways keeping myself on the math side of the equation, meaning when I see a problem in my business or I'm trying to solve something in my business, I understand that there's a math column and there's a drama column. And I don't want to be in the drama column where I start making it mean something about me, the world, mm -hmm. the clients, whatever. Mm -hmm. I want to be over here and say, okay, uh, and I know that I need 20 consults a month to to reach my financial goals. So if I'm not seeing, so the, the math there is about five, four to five a week, right? If I'm not seeing that, then I want to figure out how to solve that problem. And I'm, I stay over in the math column. So that's been a bit of a challenge. I've gone back and forth. All the, Another issue is I've gone back and forth with hiring subcontract resume writers. And I recognize that to grow my business to the volume that I want it to be, I'm going to have to have a stable of writers. I have a very high level credential mm -hmm. and people talk to me and they want me to write their resume. And I've tried, I've had three or four, I can think of other resume writers who are just not on my level. So, and this is where I'm in the drama column, right? So I'm in the drama column telling myself that nobody can write resumes as good as me, or if they do, they don't need to work for me. They have their own business. So that's, that's an area where I have to work on my mind and my thoughts to get out of the drama column and figure out how to solve it. Um, and the fact of the matter is I know the steps. I'm just still over there in the drama about it and, and kind of spinning about that. So those are a couple areas that, that I'm, that I'm working on and just getting getting more people to know about um, what I do and how I do it. And the, pot, the podcast has been the number one way that I get clients. Terrific. I, this is the first time that I've heard the idea of like the math column or the drama column. It, column, it, it just because the last person that I talked to, um, we, we had gotten into conversation about like right brain and left brain. So it does seem like that there's a bit of a correlation there between the, the right uh, brain of it and left brain of it. Yeah. The, I mean, the drama stuff, when it comes up, it's got to be dealt with, but it's not. It's it, the, the importance here is don't confuse a, a math problem because you think it's a drama problem. Any math problem can turn into a drama problem if, uh, you know, if we're mm -hmm. not thinking about it clearly. And so the other thing that I see is it's not so much a question where it's like it was a subject because I didn't want to talk to you about LinkedIn, but I feel like at this point, that's way too big of a can of worms. So I think what we'll do is we'll um, we'll, we'll table that for the next time. But uh, I did want to ask you one. I will ask you one other thing instead about your your resumating, uh, resumating, your resume writing service. Yeah, yeah I, I suppose it's so. Could you distill, it's going to be two parts, could you distill what really separates your level of resume service from the rest? And then you do give a, a guarantee that if there's no interview within 60 days, now assuming that this is, that you'll do a rewrite for free. Um, yeah. So yeah. assuming that this has come up, I'd like to know, like, what have been indicators as to why it didn't gain any traction? Okay, it's never come up. No one has ever had to use it. So it's one of Fair those... Enough one of those guarantees that makes people feel better, uh, but they've never had to use it because if they do the steps in the guarantee, because there are, there are, there is an onus on the client, the candidate to, you know, can't just yeah. sit there in your house with your resume in your hand and go, why is nobody calling me? <laughs> and so no one has taken me up on it. Um, but it, it does give some confidence and, and security to the, to the client. Here's the big thing. And this is something that you would have no way of knowing if you weren't in my in my space. There are a lot of resume credentialing bodies out there, but the only one that has coursework, tests, 
you have to pass, you have to, you get graded, uh, is the ACRW, which stands for Academy Certified Resume Writer. It is not the largest. Mm -hmm. The largest is the CPRW, uh, Certified Professional Resume Writer. And it's, it's the largest, quite frankly, because it's pretty easy to get. I was willing to do the work and I actually sat down with the people who, who were doing the the course at the time who were doing the certification and they explained to me and that was why I chose the one that I chose and then I went on to get the master resume writer. So to answer the question about what makes it different is I work very closely with clients. So at the $200, $300 level, what you're getting is somebody who's not going to talk to you. They don't have time to talk to you. You're probably going to have to fill out a really lengthy questionnaire and then they're going to dump it into a program of some sort and then that's going to be... Um, you know, they're going to dump it out, chat GPT. Mm -hmm. It's not going to be personal to you and it's not going to sell you because chat GPT goes out into the world to get the answers. It doesn't go into your head to find out what did you achieve? How, to, how did you make this company better? How did you save money, reduce waste, whatever it is? It also isn't going to be able to identify your brand and articulate that in a way that positions you in a crowded marketplace. So I do that deep work with them. And because I've done it for so long, and I'm really smart and I'm really incisive in how I get this information out of clients, the result is just better. Um, and I recently had a client come to me who spent $800 on a resume and she hated it. And I looked at it and I'm like, yeah, I kind of hate it too. And unfortunately, when those clients do that, I can't discount them mm -hmm. <laughs> for what they've already spent. But it is kind of a buyer beware situation out there. And it's not to say that there aren't people charging you know, a few hundred dollars who are good, but it is kind of, you know, you get what you pay for kind of situation. So it's that combination of experience, education, wisdom, incisiveness, all of the above, I think. I don't want to call out the company that I used to work for, but I did have a brief gig with a resume writing company. Ooh. And uh, they they would have kept me around, but they wanted to pay me less than minimum wage. So I said, well, you know, guys... Um, <laughs> I, you sort of can't do that. And he says, well, uh, we're going to have to let you go. I'm like, yeah, no kidding. So uh, there, yeah, the, the empathy that I'd gained for all the people that I was just talking to on the phone to help write their resume increase, that empathy would have helped. But I didn't. anyways, uh, I'm not bitter, which and um, I'm, I'm still one strike. <laughs> I still got I two more strikes before <laughs> I walk away with it. <laughs> oh, I love it. Yeah. Um, with that, I'm going to let you go. Uh, let you go because I know you've got uh, a lot to do today. So, if you have any uh, lingering thoughts, reactions, or any points that you wanted to make, in case there's anything that we just wanted to ensure was covered, feel free. I, and then, otherwise, am, let the audience know where we can find yeah, you. Yeah, I'm good. I, I what I was going to say is, if anybody has any follow up questions about anything we've said, you can email me, Lisa L E S A at exclusivecareercoaching.com, or hey, find me on LinkedIn. I live on LinkedIn. I got big old feet, as I like to say on LinkedIn. A large footprint uh it's uh you can look me up at lisa career coach or just look up lisa edwards that's lisa l-e-s-a um and uh that's where i kind of live so check me out and listen to the podcast exclusive career coaching or the exclusive career coach sorry all good and to my audience as i said at the beginning of the episode and i'll say it again it is as always an honor and a privilege to be able to do this work um, learn what i can learn share what i can share and get the message out there so lisa thanks again for your time for your expertise Thank had a lot you. of fun today talking to you i'm looking forward to hopefully we'll get a chance to talk to you again some at some point down the love line and really sink our teeth into some linkedin because um well, all right. I got to let you go. I was just about to crack <laughs> open that can. It's uh, there's, there's stuff coming out of it. All right. 
Everybody, this has been the Impactful Coaching Podcast. I've been Joseph. And if you have any feedback for us, you can always email joseph at impactfulcoachingpodcast.com. It is spelled the way you think. And it is our endeavor to make sure that whatever it is that you want to do in the coaching space, we want to make sure that you are impactful while you're at it.